This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. You'll want to reserve a line for this conversation. It is a hot button topic. 416 360 0740 or toll free 1 866 740 4740. It has not yet been confirmed by our federal government, but there are several published reports that former Al Qaeda terrorist Omar Khadr will be offered an apology from the Trudeau Liberals along with a $10 million compensation package for his suffering in the Guantanamo Bay military prison. Cotter was born in Toronto. His father was a top al-Qaeda operative who died in a firefight with Pakistani soldiers in 2003, a year after Omar Cotter was arrested in Afghanistan for killing a U.S. soldier with a grenade. Cotter, just 15 at the time, which is why the Supreme Court of Canada ruled in 2010 that the actions of federal officials who participated in U.S. interrogations of Omar Cotter had offended the most basic Canadian standards about the treatment of detained youth suspects. An apology and a $10 million compensation package. Your thoughts are welcome. 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740 toll free. Also joining us for this conversation about Omar Cotter is Michael Tobe, a former staffer in the senior in the Stephen Harper government and Alex Alex Neve, the Secretary General of Amnesty International Canada. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hello. Good afternoon. Alex, we'll begin with you. Were Cotter's rights violated in your estimation and in Amnesty International's estimation? Oh, there's absolutely no question about that. And we were clear about the human rights concerns in his case from the very beginning right through to the very end. Uh, Whether you start with the fact that he was a child soldier at the time, 15 years old, that when he was apprehended in the midst of that firefight, the very serious concerns about torture and ill treatment, all of the injustices of Guantanamo Bay that, of course, were not unique to him, anyone held there, uh, but held for a long period of time without charge, uh, then subjected to the blatantly unfair military commission process, which does not at all meet international fair trial standards, uh, a refusal to grant him consular access, uh, on and on goes the list. Uh, so there's no question uh, that Omar Khadr went through years of human rights violations, and, and therefore it is very good and long overdue news that he's going to receive redress for that. What was done to him after he was captured in Afghanistan? And I know he was... Uh in custody for for quite a few years, from 2002 all the way until he came to Canada in 2012. So for 10 years, how was he treated initially and and subsequently at Guantanamo Bay? And what evidence is there to suggest that these charges are in fact what happened? 
Uh, well, there's his own uh, descriptions, which he's given frequently, uh, which certainly include um, uh, very serious concerns about the way he was being interrogated at Guantanamo Bay with uh, uh, with with mistreatment and threats and violence. Uh, which, you know, this is a 15-year-old kid who's just been through uh, horrific injury in a military um, clash in Afghanistan. Uh, I did receive, and I think it's always very important, and he himself has recognized that, did receive important life-saving surgery from U.S. forces as well. Uh, at Guantanamo Bay, he was, um, uh, the most notorious is that he was subjected to what's known as the frequent flyer program, but a form of sleep deprivation, mm-hmm. uh, which was a way of... Uh, of softening him up for interrogation. It may, to many viewers, seem like it's a fairly mild form of torture, what's a little bit of difficulty in not being allowed to sleep. People who have been through it and other forms of torture will talk about the fact that it was more excruciating than almost anything else that they endured. That's the one that directly brings in Canadian complicity because Canadian intelligence officers went down to Guantanamo Bay at the time uh, to interview, interrogate um, uh, Omar Khadr, knowing that he had just been put through that process and nonetheless went ahead. He was 16, 16 and a half at the time, went ahead with the interviews with him. Uh, He has no lawyer with him, no family member, and they know he's been through that sleep deprivation. That's one of the things that the Supreme Court of Canada in particular was very concerned about. I think, and we'll probably hear this from the Zoomer radio listeners who have jammed up our phone lines already, uh, that an apology does seem appropriate. But why $10 million? That's uh, an amount of money most Canadians can't even imagine. Uh, Well, I'm not able to confirm whether it is or is not $10.5 million, Mm -hmm. but I think um, he does deserve compensation. He went through human rights violations uh, for for close to 15 years. The the intense period uh, in which the human rights violations were very strong went on for several years. Uh, He lost his youth. He was abandoned by his government. Uh, He endured torture and ill treatment. Uh, He he has been through uh, a human rights travesty. There's no question around it uh, and and deserves fair and adequate uh, compensation for that. Let's go to Michael Tobe now, former staffer in the Stephen Harper government. Uh, Michael, you were obviously yep. hearing much about this over many years when you were in the Conservative government. Your take on these developments, these reports? Sure, certainly. And it should be pointed out that I was actually a speechwriter for the Prime Minister, so many of the secret files were not part of my purview. I actually didn't look at all of them. I did actually, over time, it's interesting, see some of the secret files. And we've also seen, as Alex has described, many different reports that have come out in the media, both from Mr. Cotter and from various first and second-hand reports. I mean, the way I've always looked at it is such. um, Based on what I read, based on what I saw, and based on what I heard from both people that I work with in the Harper government, as well as people who had to deal with the file in the Chrétien government and the Martin government, both liberal governments, I think there was almost basically a unanimous approach that whether the treatment of Mr. Cotter was justified or not in Gitmo is one separate affair. I can't, certainly today anyway, I have not seen anyone who basically justifies the point that maybe an apology is deserved, and that's fine, we can, dis- we can discuss and debate that, but to actually hear the possibility of between 10 to $10.5 million to be basically compensated to a person who did 
whether you like it or not, Alex, plead guilty to killing a Christopher Spear, who was there fighting as a medic, not a soldier, but as a medic, someone who was trying to help people. And he actually admitted and pled guilty to killing this man. He has destroyed a family. He has basically made one woman into a widow. And he basically, as we know, he had children. So they've lost everything. They're not being compensated, as far as I know, a single dime. It is astonishing to me, and I think it's astonishing to many Canadians, that no matter what you think of Omar Khadr, or what he did, or whether he was coerced into becoming a child soldier, or whether his father had this hand over him, or whether Al-Qaeda brainwashed him into doing these things, the fact is, if you look at many of the accounts, it seems that he had no remorse for what he did, he seemed that he was quite content that he was fighting on behalf of something he believed in at that time. I think that most Canadians would find this preposterous as I do. And we will go to the phones, 416-360-0740, First, Alex, I'll give you an opportunity to respond before we take it to the listeners. Go ahead. No one would say that it was anything but a very sorrowful thing that Christopher Spears uh, was was killed that day, and and the many others who were killed in many other incidents uh, in Afghanistan at that time and since on both sides of the conflict. I think it's important to clarify that he was not uh, fighting as a medic that day. It is true that he was a medic, but he was not uh, involved in that military engagement as a medic. He was involved as a regular soldier. Um, the, the circumstances as to whether Omar Khadr did or did not throw the grenade uh, have always been shrouded in uncertainty and controversy. It's true that he did plead guilty as part of a plea deal. Um, you know, some observers have imagined that that was probably the only way he possibly thought he would ever get out of the, the labyrinth of injustice that was Guantanamo Bay. His conviction by the Military Commission in the United States continues to be the subject of an appeal in the United States. And, and there's considered to be so much um, merit to that appeal. That is why the Canadian courts let him out on bail uh, while the appeal is going forward. So that part is still uncertain. Um, and um, so at the end of the day, let's remember that it's very tragic, of course, but it was a war. Uh, and sadly, soldiers are killed in war. That does not make it an act of terrorism, even if it happened as, uh, as uh, pled to in the plea deal. Uh, it makes it. All right, let's go to Jack in Hockley Valley, the first of our callers here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Jack, uh, you want to weigh in on the compensation for Omar Khadr? Uh, yeah, yes, I do. Uh, I am absolutely sick that uh, our government is going to give away our money. That's my money and it's your money for a guy who killed somebody. I mean, our courts, uh, they were going to hang a 14-year-old, Stephen Truscott, about 30 or 40 years ago. So I, I don't have any faith in them at all, for they're saying that this guy was innocent. He was Should there be our soldiers too? Uh -huh. But for the he violations that the Supreme Court states uh, went against Canadian law in 2010, should there be some sort of compensation for this individual? Not none whatsoever. He killed somebody. He should be punished for what he did. He absolutely did uh, plead. Uh, guilty to killing that soldier. That, in fact, is the case. But we know that uh, 
he also has said that he did that to get out of Guantanamo Bay because he knew that he would likely never be released unless he did confess to that. Let's go to Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. You're on Fight Back. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. Go ahead. Good. Well, I, I still can't believe that the Liberal Party would award this man $11 million for killing an American. What's Mr. Trump going to say now? I mean, he's a Canadian, supposedly, in Afghanistan, helping his old man there kill Americans. Mm-hmm. What was he doing there? I mean, 11 years old or 15 years old or whatever. 15, he should have yeah. been in Canada, not there. Yes, I mean, you could certainly make the case for child abuse by the father to the son mm-hmm. uh, for getting him into that situation. But, Michael, th- yeah. you know, this brings about the question. I'll let you go, Bill. Thank you Thanks. for calling in. It uh, brings about the question, how partisan is this decision? You did say that the Martin government, the Chrétien government, uh, the Harper government, now the Trudeau government involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is this a political or a partisan decision? Well, I, I would imagine that some of his supporters will make it out to be, but based on certainly the communication that I've had with ex-Cretinites and Martinites, um, I think they're pretty much aligned with the former or the ex-Harper officials, which includes people like myself, Mm -hmm. that no, it is not justified. So I actually don't think it's a partisan issue. I think it really comes more into play as to whether you believe that Omar Khadr was fully in control of his life and understood what he was doing, even though he was 15, even though he was a child soldier, and even though certainly whatever relationship his father may or may not have had with al-Qaeda, and I've seen reports that his father was as high up as a number four, number five man. I've also seen reports that he was just simply associated with them. Mm-hmm. As Alex has correctly said, some parts of this case are not completely clear, so I think we can certainly agree on that. I think the real problem, though, unfortunately, the issue directly is that whether you believe that he was trying to adjust his situation or fix his circumstances being in Gitmo, which I think most of us can appreciate, is not the Taj Mahal. It obviously was built for a specific purpose, and it was to deal with hardened criminals. We know that he did plead guilty. It is on the record. Whether he was coerced or not is really up to a person to make that decision, whether you actually believe that he had been brainwashed to the point that he just believed everything that al-Qaeda was saying and he followed through in it, or whether, based on the responses that he gave from first- and second-hand accounts to people who actually looked at him, observed him, and interviewed him, that he showed absolutely no remorse. I think it really comes into play in that way. And I think, based on your first two calls, you're sort of seeing that most Canadians, or at least some Canadians anyways, are pretty strongly opposed to, if nothing else, the remuneration that's going to be given to them. And, and Alex, I know you have to go, but one final comment from you, Alex Neve, Secretary General of Amnesty International Canada, and we do appreciate your time. Uh, um, he has said, Omar Cotter has said, that he wants to show the Canadian people that he's a good man. Why take this money from the Canadian taxpayers? If it would not, would it not be in his interest to say I want to I want to live the rest of my life I'm 30 years old as a Canadian in good faith I don't want to take this money from Canada effectively I mean you can't have it both ways well I think you can have it both ways and I think it's important to highlight that he has absolutely made that clear to Canadians and I think has demonstrated in the two years he's been free now I think he's impressed anyone who's had any encounters with them as to how much in good faith that 
that assertion of you know wanting to build a better, brighter future is. Uh, he's pursuing education. He's become very engaged in the community, has made many friends. Uh, but that does not by any means uh, suggest that he should not pursue the redress that is his right. Let's make it absolutely crystal clear that when anyone goes through human rights violations, there actually is a right to have a remedy for what you've been through, and that that's absolutely crucial both to help try to restore what a person themselves has suffered and lost, and he's lost much of his growing up. Uh, He's been denied all sorts of opportunities. Uh, He's been subjected to violence and threats and harm and deprivation. Uh, But it's also very important because that's part of how we ensure that injustices like this don't happen again, Uh, ensuring that there is redress, that there are consequences when human rights violations happen, hopefully means that the next time out, there would be second thoughts before going down to participate in an interrogation session, knowing that uh, that a young Canadian's been through sleep deprivation, for instance. That's all about building a better human rights future. Alex Neve, thank you for your time. Thank you. Alex has to leave us, but we have Michael Tobe, um, speechwriter to Stephen Harper, on the line with us at least until 1230. And your calls, Bill in Toronto. Go ahead. What do you have to say about the Omar Cotter compensation? Well, like the last gentleman's thing about talking, making people whole again, I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of issues in their life and a lot of bad situations, and we should be making their life way better and leaving guys like this to the very end of it. First of all, we've got them on film building uh, explosive devices, which killed how many people? He's admitted to killing a soldier. His brother was, what, over 14 over there fighting in it? And what, he took a bullet and became crippled? And now what's he come back to get the best health care in the world free and probably live on social assistance for the rest of his days? And we're handing out a murderer $10 million? How wrong has this country gone? The only thing that would surprise me now if he ends up running for the Liberal government. Bill, I thank you for your call. Uh, Michael, you know, it. Yep. Bra- it bring- I'm thinking about this, this child at 15 taken by his father uh, to fight for al-Qaeda, a, yes. a cause that he embraced, and he admits to having embraced it even mm-hmm. into adulthood when he was in Guantanamo Bay. Um, even if right. you take from the age of 18 to 28 upon his release— say $40,000 a year for an income lost over 10 years we're, we're you know we're talking about we're talking about less than a million dollars effectively i mean yep. maybe canadians could swallow a million dollar compensation and then now let him get on with his life he says he wants to enroll in college as a nurse um, so he could be practicing as a nurse within two or three years, mm-hmm. uh, and that million dollars would give him the base, and it would, and it would basically, it, it would basically be compensation for the money that he has lost. Well, as I said before, the Spear family has received no compensation whatsoever. I think actually, if Mr. Cotter wanted to do a good PR or communications move, he would give half or more of that money to the family that he affected and effectively destroyed. Oh, that I would think- be that would be brilliant. 
Yeah, I mean, well, look, and it's not just because I said it, but I think it would make a lot more sense. It, it wouldn't justify what he did. Nothing that he did, in my opinion anyways, justifies it. I think this is just an abysmal decision if it's true. And I think you're right to also say, Jane, that we don't know the exact particulars and we don't know the exact amounts. The rumored amount is between 10 million to 10 and a half million. Mm-hmm. We'll accept that as the, you know, in theory is the number right now. But I just think that if it's just left as it is, and Mr. Cotter takes the money, you're right to say that should the Canadian government give an apology or not, I don't necessarily think they should. I think a lot of conservatives and liberals would also disagree with it, but many Canadians would probably be supportive of it. And to give an apology, as many governments have done previously, is just sort of seen as a nice thing. You can just basically talk it up a little bit, have a press release, and then it goes away, and then we move on to other news of the day. When you put a dollar amount behind it, and I think this is the big issue that, for example, Alex Neve couldn't really necessarily defend, because I think that even though he didn't say it, he probably knows to himself that doing both things doesn't actually look very good for Mr. Cotter's, in Mr. Cotter's defense. It actually makes him look very weak overall if he takes money along with it, I think the wisest thing for the Cotter team to do is either give some money to the Spear family or just not take it at all and just ask for the apology. Because that we could still have an argument about and a discussion about on the radio, TV, print, and elsewhere. But once you take that dollar amount out, I think it changes the whole parameters of this discussion. And I think that's why people like myself are really frustrated at this decision. When we come back, I want to ask you this. I'll give you the commercial break to think about it, Michael. How complicit was Canada in the interrogation of Omar Khadr, which is said to have violated human rights? You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We're talking about published reports that the federal government is getting set to pay Omar Cotter in excess of $10 million and make a public apology for doing nothing to help defend the former child soldier who is also who is also a former al-Qaeda terrorist. It was in 2010 the Supreme Court of Canada ruled the actions of federal officials who participated in U.S. interrogations of Cotter had offended the most basic Canadian standards about the treatment of detained youth suspects. This youth in question was 15 at the time. Michael Tobe, a speechwriter to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper on the line with us. And the answer to my question before the break, how complicit was Canada in violating human rights? You know, it's interesting. It's the wordsmith in me, Jane, and nothing personal. I was just thinking of your use of the word complicit. I think when you're actually trying to find the truth, There is no such thing as complicity. I think it's actually someone who's actually trying to delve into an issue to understand it better. For example, hypothetically, let's say Canadian officials had been involved in the process and heard and saw very different things to U.S. officials and others who were listening to the same sort of answers and they analyzed in a different fashion. You would assume that Canadian authorities and officials would actually present a much different case. They may still be agitated by what happened, still angry by Omer Cotter, still believe that he deserved to be in Gitmo, etc., etc., but they might have actually seen it from a very different way and in a very different fashion. And I can tell you that the information that was floating around the Harper government, most of which I did not read, although I actually did have my eyes on a few things, and I've also obviously seen, like all Canadians and all your listeners, 
many of the public things or things that have been released publicly, it really just does not seem to show a person who had any remorse whatsoever, that being Omer Cotter. So I don't think the Canadian government was complicit in it, but I think that they did their best to work hand-in-hand with American officials and others to ensure that they found out the truth, or at least the truth as they interpreted it. And because liberals and conservatives, at least in terms of the old Cretan government, Martin government, and Harper government, where I worked for, all seem to be aligned, at least in the theory that something bad happened here, that Mr. Carter pled guilty to killing a person who may not have been in the capacity as a medic when, during that situation, but Christopher Spear was brought over as a medic. And just to look at this and sort of say to themselves, doesn't matter that he was 15, doesn't matter that he was a child soldier, doesn't matter whether he may or may not have been brainwashed, he has to be found guilty of his actions. He has been found guilty of his actions. Why are we paying this sort of, shall we say, blood money in this case? I think that just basically makes it so overwhelming that the Canadian government wasn't complicit at all. They heard what they heard. They saw what they saw. They read what they read. And they believe the same things, for the most part, that American officials did. And so far, Michael, everyone who's called in here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back agrees with you. Let's go to the phones again. Donna in Toronto, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio. Hi, Jane. How are you? Fine, thanks. What's your opinion? Well, my opinion is that it's it's, uh, actually very disgusting of Canada to have done that. Uh, I'm a senior and a poor senior, and I'm struggling, struggling to get a $250 subsidy to pay my rent, okay, so I can stay in my own apartment, which is a a little basement apartment, okay, Mm -hmm. very cheap apartment, as a matter of fact, and I'm only trying to get $250 help, and I can't get it. But he gets ten million or eleven million, right? I mean, if Trudeau is not ashamed of himself, you know, he should be ashamed. He should be the whole government should be ashamed of themselves. The way they treat seniors, poor seniors and poor people in general. Okay? They should be ashamed of that. Donna, thank you for your thank call. You. We're gonna move on here. Kathy and Niagara Falls, your opinion on fight back. I have the same opinion as the other lady. Mm-hmm. I uh, think everybody's uh, bleeding hard about this kid. He knew what he was doing when he went over there. I think he should be thanking us for taking him from the Americans, because I think the Americans had the, every right to hang him. He he killed somebody of their country, and, and uh, he deserves to die, as far as I'm concerned. And they certainly did save his life. There's no doubt about that. And he acknowledges that he had life-saving surgery after the firefight in Bagram at the Bagram Air Force Base. Let's go to Joan in Oshawa. You're on Fight Back. Hello, Libby. It's Jane. Go ahead. It's okay. Sorry, Jane. Um, I'm looking at it this way. At 15, you know right from wrong. Doesn't matter. You know, parents can have overbearing ideals. But still, you know right from wrong. And as far as I'm concerned, if any money is to be paid, it should be paid to the Spears family because they have, there's no family now. Because no. the husband is gone and the father is gone. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I am absolutely livid with the liberal government for even suggesting even a million dollars would be ridiculous. It's, it's, it's absolutely I don't, it's mind-boggling. And the, the thing is, we don't compensate murderers up here. We put them in jail for life. 
Joan, I thank you for your call. And I just want to put this to Michael. Sure. Uh, Spears' widow and another American soldier who was blinded by the grenade that Cotter was accused of throwing, they filed a wrongful death and injury lawsuit against Cotter in 2014. A U.S. judge granted $134 million in damages in 2015. But the plaintiffs said there was little chance they would collect any of the money from Cotter because he lives in Canada. So... They said that that was more of a moral stance. Right. Uh, but they are entitled to some of his money. Oh, I certainly think so. And thank you. That's actually a good point. I forgot about that case, and you're right. And quite frankly, they were correct in saying that Mr. Cotter couldn't obviously raise the funds in that capacity. A, he doesn't have it, and B, it would be impossible to do. But irrespective of that, yes, they are entitled to some form of money. And I think it would be a lot easier to disperse 10 million Canadian than it would be, as you quoted, and just correct me if I'm wrong, 134 million U.S. Mm -hmm. in terms of giving a bit to that family. Because the Spears family has been destroyed forever. And certainly, Mr. Cotter has made the argument over and over again that his life was destroyed too. And yes, he sat in jail for many years. I don't think anyone questions that. But at the same time, he destroyed it because of his involvement in that war and killing an army medic. So he, you know, whether he likes it or not, whether he appreciates it or not, or whether his legal team, and his lawyer has been pretty loud and out and about for a number of years now defending his case, they all think that basically this was a one-sided issue. Unfortunately, based on a lot of the reports and the facts that are out, the facts are the facts. He killed this man. Christopher Spear is no longer here because of Omar Khadr. And there shouldn't be, and as one woman said, you know, they shouldn't even pay a million dollars. I'd go even further than that, Jane. They shouldn't pay a bloody red nickel. Not one to him. He doesn't deserve it. Evelyn in Toronto, what do you think? Hello? Hi, Evelyn. Go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio. Hi, I'm a uh, senior, and I'm I'm nervous on the radio. That's okay. Uh, I feel very strongly about the Omar Khadr case. I think our country just let him down all the way. When the other, the, Australia and Britain repatriated their nationals, and uh, I remember the young man in Australia, what did we ever do for Omar Khadr? And yes, he may have killed a man in battle. How many men do die in battle? That medic was in harm's way. It's a terrible thing that he died. Yes. But you don't um, put soldiers in jail for for everything. And I, I just feel that he's, he's, a, he's turned out to be, a, in spite of everything, a wonderful young man. And, I, and I'm a senior on a limited income as far as that goes, and I don't begrudge him his money at all. Wow. So there's some empathy from Evelyn in Toronto, the first call of empathy for Omar Cotter since uh, we started on this topic at noon. Let's go yeah. to Dorothy in Innisville. You're on Zoomer Radio. Hi, I'm um, I'm calling because I don't think he should get any money. You know, he he did throw the grenade. He killed that that fellow in in um, in the U.S. Army, and he didn't have to throw the grenade. I mean, he could have dropped it, and and it wasn't uh, a live one until he pulled in. So I don't see why, because he was in in prison um, for something that he actually did, that we should have to um, uh, compensate him for being in prison. I think that uh, he did the 
the deed, as they say, and, and he now has to pay for what he did. And, and the Spears family, they don't have a father and a husband, and, you know, they have to manage to do things on their own. And why should he get $10 million just because he was in jail? I mean, come on, he did, the, he did it. Yeah, and that's, this is what a lot of Canadians are saying. But how responsible should Canada have been? Um, we've got Michael Tobe on the line, uh, former speechwriter to uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. How involved should Canada have been to make sure that Omar Khadr was treated like a Canadian uh, based on the crimes he was accused of as, as, as a youth? Well, that is the obligation of the Canadian government federally to defend anybody who is abroad who is being held, say, in an org- or a place like Guantanamo Bay, to ensure that Canadian morals, values, standards, etc., are always in place. I mean, that's what we're always supposed to do. And we've had other cases where we've tried to do it in various other countries. I can think of William Sampson, for an example. And... You know, unfortunately, you often hear back, and you've probably done this as well and maybe had interviews with some of the friends or family, Jane, in your past, where they come out and basically express either it's very black and white, either they express enormous amounts of gratitude for everything the Canadian government has done, or conversely, they are just furious with everything the Canadian government didn't do. You never hear something sort of in the middle. And that's understandable because of the emotional response of those that are involved, even if you're directly involved or indirectly involved. Um, Unfortunately, here we just have an example, and you know, you've had it now with several callers, and obviously it's just a small sample size, and mathematically we can't sort of make a graph out of it, but it shows that most of your callers, and probably most of your listeners, are just furious by what they hear and furious by this situation. And whether they think that Canada did enough or didn't do enough is one thing. Canada was involved in a way, shape, or form. Like I said, there were files that were floating around. There were discussions that were held. So Canada was certainly part of the process, so to speak. Maybe they didn't lead it, but they were definitely there. And for that reason, we, ha- we did what we were supposed to do. We listened. We engaged. We tried to give our own ideas and thoughts. And we tried to ensure that Canadian values were kept in the midst. But in the grand scheme of things, once again, I I hate to keep repeating myself, two liberal governments and one conservative government all sort of came to roughly the same conclusion. Whether they agreed or disagreed about an apology is one thing. But when it comes to an example like we're discussing today, a possible compensation for someone who actually killed someone and destroyed a family, yes, an American family, not a Canadian family, but destroyed a family nevertheless, I think that all of them sort of come down the same line that we can debate the apology, but when it comes to compensation, they shouldn't be any. Right, because if you, the comparison is being made to uh, Maher Arar. Yes. And, but Maher Arar was tortured in Syria as a Canadian citizen. He yep. didn't kill anybody. No, that's correct. And it is very different. You're absolutely right. It's interesting that one of your callers also said that we never give money to killers or murderers. I think actually Clifford Olson might disagree. But so there have been certainly some examples, although obviously his case was very, very different than an international incident, as we're discussing today. But, you know, unfortunately, this is sort of what Canadians are seeing. They look at their own situation, they look at the amount of waste in government, and they look at the fact that, as some of your callers have said, that they're struggling to even just make monthly payments on their rental units, 
and they look at this amount of money given to somebody who has a very questionable past, has apologized for it, but you know, there are obviously going to be people who are going to agree and disagree. No one's going to come down the same line here. And that's why you're seeing the emotion in some of these conversations, even just on social media alone, because this, act- this issue has sort of taken Canada by force over the past few years. And now when you're including a dollar amount with it, you've changed the whole narrative to make people's heads literally explode, saying, why does he deserve millions upon millions of dollars for the horror that he caused when I can barely get through life on a day-to-day basis? And you're and right. that juxtaposition you, yeah. can't get, you can't get past. No, Michael, and, that, and that's exactly it. Uh, we've hit an emotional nerve today. The phone lines, as soon as one person hangs up, the, the next call comes in. Lines are jammed. We're going right. to take this topic to the top of the hour if you've got the time. Sure. Okay. I can hang around. Not a problem. Let's go to Dennis in Brampton. Hi, you're on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I don't know what the right compensation number is, but what I do know is that uh, a Canadian citizen, a child soldier, was tortured in Guantanamo. Uh, a, a violation of international treaty human rights. And For whatever reason, our country, I don't care what government it was of the day, uh, failed to provide adequate protection and to extricate him from that torture. So at the end of the day, uh, there should be an apology for that, and there should be some compensation. How do you balance, Dennis, uh, the loss of the life of the U.S. soldier with the violated human rights of the Canadian youngster? Well, torture is torture. It's under no circumstances, uh, if he's guilty, uh, should that have been permitted, period. We don't, we don't treat uh, killers in our country that way by torturing them. That should never have happened. And the point has been made that this, this was a war. Uh, look at the, all of the innocent civilians who... Uh, collateral damage are are killed in a war. Are they due compensation? Dennis, thank you for your call. And we are going to get back to the phones. Uh, we need to take a quick break here. Uh, this is certainly an emotional issue for Canadians. The compensation for Omar Khadr, former al-Qaeda terrorist who was a child at the time that he admits to have having thrown a grenade and uh, killing a U.S. soldier back in 2002. Should there be compensation? Should there be an apology? You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We're talking about compensation for Canadian Omar Cotter, who suffered human rights abuses at the Guantanamo Bay military prison after he was arrested at the age of 15 in 2002 in Afghanistan for throwing a grenade which killed a U.S. soldier. We've got Michael Tobe on the line. He's a speechwriter, former speechwriter for our former Prime Minister Stephen Harper and Sam in Brantford. You're on Zoomer Radio. Go ahead. Yes, good afternoon, Jane. I'm, I'm very, very annoyed. Uh, this 15-year-old, when he threw the grenade, shouldn't get a bloody penny. Yeah. And I just got off the phone. I phoned up Julius Gray. He's a lawyer representing Human Rights Commission in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And I left him a message. He sh- this, this young kid, I don't care if he was eight years old, he threw a grenade. 
He knew what the intention was, and he committed this crime. And as far as I'm concerned, he shouldn't get a penny. But what about the human rights violations as a Canadian citizen? Therein, the therein rights, is the question. Well, what about the Human Rights Commission uh, of, of everybody who gets uh, killed in Afghanistan? And they come back and they're, and they're wounded. They've got two legs missing. What about their compensation? I'll let no, that, they have to yeah. draw the line somewhere. Okay, Sam, thanks. I'll let your question sit for itself. And we'll move on to Nolasco in Hamilton. Hi, you're on Zoomer Radio. Uh, thank you very much. Okay, I have no sympathy at all for Omar Qadar, self-admitted murderer, and, uh, you know, even found guilty in the U.S. But the thing is, we cannot blame the government. The payment must be made. The apology must be given because it is the operation of the judicial process. It is an asymmetrical fight, okay? They, the terrorists don't observe the laws, but we are committed as a nation of laws, and we are committed to human rights. What I would fault would be the intelligence officers who should have known better not to have done the oppressive interrogation. What do you say to that, Michael Tobe? You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of people, including this caller, who sort of discussed this. And I agree that the Canadian government should not necessarily be faulted in the sense that there is only so much we can do in particular situations. I mean, for example, as, as we all know, Guantanamo Bay is not one of the ten Canadian provinces. And that includes Alberta, Mr. Prime Minister. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I had to. That, that's a reference to when he forgot Alberta the other day, right? <laughs> yes, yes. yes. But sorry, I, it was too tempting. But, um, but Gitmo is not part of, obviously, Canadian waters or Canadian lands. And for that reason, our influence is only so much. We can obviously go there. We can defend Canadian nationals and others who are trapped in certain situations, or at least we believe are trapped in certain international situations where there's an oppressive government or an oppressive system and there's fear that they could be tortured or murdered or otherwise but there's only so much one can really do and i know that obviously for friends and family that creates a lot of frustration because they keep saying but if he's a but for example in the case of this if omar canadian omar Carter is a canadian shouldn't the canadian government have done everything under the sun to help him and certainly there was strong involvement. There is always strong involvement, even if you don't see it on a day-to-day -day basis. But there is only so much one can do in this case, and there's only so far a reach that the Canadian government has that, no, they are not to be faulted for that. And certainly the Chrétien government, Martin government, and especially the Harper government did the best that they could in this situation. Okay, um, but what about and what the Supreme Court said in 2010, the actions of federal officials who participated in U.S. interrogations of Cotter mm -hmm. had offended the most basic Canadian standards. That's not somebody saying, I, I don't have the wherewithal or I can't get in there to help help this guy. No. That's an accusation that Canadians participated in these human rights violations. Well, look, again, that's also an interpretation as well. And naturally, if you put that in front of 10 different judicial officers, they would look at it in 10 different ways. I mean, that's unfortunately just sort of the nature of the process. It's a question of whether you feel, as you said earlier, that Canada was somehow complicit in these affairs overall. 
if you believe, as I do, that they were just searching for the truth, did as much as they possibly could, and yes, it wasn't perfectly within Canadian standards, but that Canadian standards and values were being defended all the way through, which all Canadian governments, Liberal or Tory, always typically do in these terrible situations or in these justified situations, depending on the case, I don't think you can really say much more than that. So it leads me to believe that this interpretation from 2010, or at least the way we followed things from 2010, is actually inaccurate. And again, I was there in Ottawa. I remember the Harper government obviously dealing with the Cotter case. As I said, some of the secret files happened to pass my desk, and I saw them, although the bulk of the information I never looked at, we did our best. And we did things that we should have done, and we did them correctly so. The fact that others have interpreted differently, well, I mean, that's the nature of intellectual discourse, and that's the nature of a, of a democracy. We can agree to disagree on the way certain things were handled. Okay, let's get back to the phone. Simone in Parkdale. Hi, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Oh, Simone, sorry. Go ahead. You're on now. Hi there. I have no use for torture, but they, we don't owe the cadres anything. We've, we've supported, as far as I know, we've supported their family, a terrorist family. The mother was jubilant when the towers came down, and uh, they, I, I had a co-worker who um, uh, lives on the street where they used to live, and they had a, I saw it. They had a big house, a big vehicle in the yard. Who was paying for that, us or, or Al-Qaeda or Saudi Arabia? I don't know, but if we paid for it, we, we paid enough. Simone, I thank you for your thank call. You. And that is, a, that is a good point, too, because mm-hmm. the Cotters were back and forth between Canada and Afghanistan. They, in effect, were violating uh, Canadian policy uh, by their outward, uh, outward uh, support for al-Qaeda. Yes, absolutely. You're right. I mean, as I said, I think a while back, we don't know exactly to the extent that Omar Khadr's father, what his involvement was directly with al-Qaeda. Sometimes you hear he was way up the chain of command, others that he just happened to know a lot of people. But much like your last caller, I have also heard the same thing or seen various reports that the Cotter family seemed to live comfortably. Now, if it was done by legitimate means, irrespective of what you think of Omar Cotter, that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the history of his father is exceedingly suspect, and not just because people such as, for example, uh, Rebel Media founder Ezra Levant wrote about it, but it's actually been discussed in various articles and books throughout this country and in other countries. So there is clearly something, or at least a huge question mark, when it comes to Omer Cotter's father, if nothing else, which makes you wonder how they were living in such comfort for that reason. But again, as I said, if it was done by legitimate re- means, irrespective of what you think of Omar Cotter, that doesn't really fit into the equation. No, absolutely right. Let's go to Betty in North York. Betty, hi, you're on Zoomer Radio. Hi. Um, a couple of comments. Um, we just celebrated 150 years. I don't think we'll be around for another 150 mm-hmm. years. Not when we um, uh, reward Omar Cotter's and, and Carla Hamolka's in our society, people who uh, you know, they're, they're victims. Um, well, they can't speak for themselves. No. The other point is that um, we're hypocritical as a society when we say, oh, because he was only 15 years old. But we allow 15-year-old girls to choose abortion if they want to without parental consent. We allow 15-year-old transgendered people, oh, this is my lifestyle, without their parental consent. Oh, the parents can't even fight back now with the new... Um, uh, legislation that the government just passed a couple of weeks ago. So we're being very hypocritical. 
And, um, yeah, maybe they are young and they should, you know, uh, either they don't have maturity, but that is part of becoming mature. You have to take responsibility for your choices. You may agree or disagree with Betty. Uh, we welcome your calls. We only have a couple more minutes here. We'll go to Mike in Oakville. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. How are you? Good, thanks. Listen, as soon as, listen, as, soon as he picks up a weapon and he fights for the other side against Canadians, against Canadian troops, against Americans, against the Allies, he loses his citizenship. I don't know where you guys get this idea that, you know, He's a Canadian citizen, stuff like that. You lose this automatically. You know what, Mike? That is an excellent point. And Michael, can mm-hmm. is is there some sort of legality to what Mike is saying? Certainly, it's an emotional reaction. Is is it legal what he's saying? As far as I know, no, actually, it isn't. But he's right in the sense that if it's not legal, it should be. It, it's certainly been something that has been discussed in the past. I can tell you the Tory backbenchers definitely talked about it years ago. This is not the first time I've ever heard that equation. And from an emotional response, Mike is absolutely right, or my namesake is absolutely right. You, I mean, you, when you leave to go, say, as we've heard other stories where people have left from cities such as Calgary and Vancouver and others to go fight for ISIS, that should basically take your Canadian citizenship and you should be allowed to tear it, you know, at least on our side of the border, because you've given up all the rights and freedoms and liberties that we cherish in this country. Right. But from a legal perspective, no. As far as I understand it, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Although, I mean, you know, if something happens to you and you're tried and you're captured and whatever, the Canadian government wouldn't necessarily look favorably at a case involving you based on what you have done. One more call. Brian in Etobicoke. Go ahead. Hi, Libby. You know, personally, I blame Pierre Trudeau for this and that totally unnecessary charter of rights and freedoms, which has turned into nothing but a sick joke. Uh, Bilingual person, totally bilingual, get $10,000 from Air Canada because he couldn't order his seven up in French. That's the kind of nonsense that goes on. Okay, but is Brian taking it too far? Is he taking it to the outer extreme? I mean, our charter of freedoms and rights as Canadians is something we hold dear. The question here is whether this young individual lost those rights as a, because he took up arms against allied forces. Right. Well, the charter of rights and freedoms is flawed. I would certainly agree with that. But then again, you can go to any piece of legislation, including the Westminster model for parliamentary democracy that we follow, and it's not perfect either. At the same time, yeah, in terms of the rights and freedoms that he gave up, I think that most Canadians, even if legally it doesn't work that way, I would think that most Canadians, including many of your listeners, would just sort of say to themselves that if he decided to go and help a terrorist organization, in this case al-Qaeda, should we really regard Omar Khadr as, quote-unquote, one of our own? And even though legally we still have to do so, and even though legally the Canadian government was involved to some degree, in terms of looking over the Omer Cotter case and what was going on in Guantanamo Bay, et cetera, et cetera, I still think that in the end many people would sort of say to themselves, why didn't they just let him rot? Because by nature, the Canadian government just doesn't do that right. as a rule of thumb. It doesn't right. matter which government is in place, be it left-leaning or right-leaning. And as well, if we actually believe that our, our freedoms and rights and liberties in Canada are so cherished and so important to us, that even in worst-case scenarios, we should still be out there fighting for them, even if we think that the case involving them is a disgusting travesty. Okay, that's the final word. Michael Tobe, thank you so much. My pleasure. Have a great day.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.